So let's get into the theme of this. If you have your notes, just open to the cover there. It says 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and it's right there, praise the Lord, on the cover. The Bible says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He's made us competent. Pastors, leaders, Christians, we're competent. He's making us competent, making us competent in his word as ministers of a new covenant. In other words, we're not ministers of an old covenant. We're ministers of the new. Then he gives it specifically, he says, not of the letter, that's the letter of the law, but of the spirit because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I love to share the example straight from the word. When Moses came down with the letter of the law, the Ten Commandments, when he came down there uh, um, that day, the law judged those people. The law was against them. The law condemned them to death, and 3,000 people died. The day the law was given, 3,000 died. Do you see how it's real and true? The letter kills. Then... Several thousand years later, praise God, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and, G and Peter got up and preached the first message of the church, the life came out of him, hallelujah, and touched the people and 3,000 people were born again to life. Amen? So there's a, amen, there's a contrast that shows you the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And opening our booklets to the first message, this first message we're going to do tonight lays a foundation for all the rest. It's a foundation. We call it the big picture. Um, you know, many years ago down in Mexico, I was about to preach um, at a gathering of, of different churches in a public facility, and God just gave me this word. And this has kind of been, you know, if I have a, a life's message of what would I like to share with pastors and leaders? What would I share, like to share with people? It's about the truth of our identity, of who we are in Christ, not who we were as a sinner. Who we are in the new covenant, not who we were, what the old covenant exposes of our sin nature. We have to see the difference. We have to separate the two. The cross divides the covenant, praise the Lord, from old to new. We can see it there. On this side, praise the Lord, we're, we're in what he has done. It's like the new covenant is Jesus revealed. The old covenant is Jesus concealed. Amen? Amen. Concealed, but he's there. He's there all the way through. Hallelujah. Well, the big picture, God's grand plan, I want you to know, first of all, that we as Christians, we can know his plan. God's not far away in, a, in such a place that, you know, we can't know him, we can't think about him, we can't understand his will, we can't know his ways. No, he's a God that's personal, and he wants us to know him. As a matter of fact, Amos 3, 7 says it this way, Surely the sovereign Lord will do nothing unless he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Think about that for a moment. The sovereign Lord will do nothing unless he reveals. He wants to reveal his plans. He won't do anything till he reveals his plans. Praise the Lord. Then in John 15, 15, it says this. I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends. Then he explains, for a friend knows his master's will. If you guys uh, get a job and you're working 
starting out just making minimum wage and the boss tells, tells you, hey, move this pile of sand from here to there. You know, you just pick up a shovel and do it. You're not sure why it's going from here to there. You don't ask those questions. It's just he wants it moved from here to here and you do it. You don't know the master's will. You're just obeying. But now what God is saying here, now that I've cleansed you, now that I've filled you, I'm bringing you into my business as my partner, a co-worker with Jesus Christ, a joint heir with him. And I want to share you why you're moving that pile. I want to bring you in. So as I you know, get to know you, trust you, we work together, I want to give you some of my business to plan it from this company over here to the next state over there and the next nation over there. I want you to be a part of knowing my business and being a part of it. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends because a friend knows his master's will. Now church, we're friends of God. We still have a servant's heart and we serve him as a friend with a servant's heart, but we know his will. We can know his plan. We can know the big picture and we can be a part of his business. And it's so much better to be a part of a job where you're included in the management of the position and a co-owner and you're advancing it, praise God, because you believe in it. Amen? That's what he's talking about here. And then he says in John 16, the Holy Spirit, we give you the Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to lead us into all of his truth. The big plan of God we can know. So I'm going to share in this first message God's grand plan, the big picture of what his will is. Amen? From the beginning to the end. We can do that. We can see it. We've got the beginning. We've got the middle. We've got the end right here. So we can understand God's big plan. And I just believe when Christians and we start understanding the grand plan, then we get to details in our life. We can see where that fits better. And we, can't, we won't get so hung up on it because we see the big picture. Does that make sense to anyone? Amen? So look at the grand plan, praise God. Daniel says it this way. Let's look, go with me to Daniel chapter 7. They'll try to put some of these verses on the screen for you as well. Daniel 7, 27, he's prophesying about the end. We'll start off at the end, then go to the beginning. And he says this, praise the Lord, then the sovereignty, the power, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. Okay? Sometimes we worry about how governments are operating, you know, who's winning this war or that, what's going on in the world. But I want to tell you, Daniel saw the end, and he's telling us because God shares his plan. In the end, praise God, everything's handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. Then Daniel says, this is the end of the matter. Amen? I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts. My face turned pale. I kept the matter to himself. And at the right time, he wrote it down, revealed it. Now it's being revealed to us. In the end, the saints win. The end of the matter, the big picture, the end of God's plan. Revelation 21, 1 through 7, he says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He said there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. Amen. And then he says this, and the dwelling of God is with man. Church, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You weren't created to live in a cloud, become an angel, and play a harp. 
That's not, that's not us. We're not going to live in heaven. He created man to live on earth. And that's still his plan. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to dwell on a new earth with God, just like it was in the Garden of Eden when God and man dwelt together. That's the end of his plan. He wants to dwell with us again. And just as blessed as it was in the Garden of Eden, so it will be again, praise the Lord, a new heaven, a new earth, no sickness, no disease, a new body to live on this new earth. How many think that's a good idea? Amen? So you see, you see God's plan, and you see the end of the plan, and it is good. Isaiah says, I've made known the end from the beginning. What I have said I will bring about, and what I have planned, that I will do. You know what? I'll take that from Isaiah and from John and Revelation and from Daniel. I just happen to believe it. I believe it all, and it strengthens me to know what's coming. So we see the end of God's plan. Ultimately, in a nutshell, it's this. His gospel's going out to every nation. That word nation in Greek, ethnos, that means every people group. Sometimes we go to Uganda, it's not just one people group. There's 72 different languages, different tribes, people groups. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation, every people group. And then, praise God, Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, ultimately. And he wants to give everyone a chance to be a part of his family to enjoy him forever. Amen? So that's what's going to happen. That's the, that's the big picture, the big plan of God. Hey, you want in? Now's the time to get in and be a part of that plan. But if we can just back up a little bit, and let's say, you know, the top of this ceiling just splits, just opens up. We look up into the sky, and the whole sky opens up. We go all the way to the throne of God, okay? You know, just picture that, because the Word says even right now you're seated in heavenly realms with Him. And we can look down and we can see what's happening in Louisiana right here today. But we can also see all the other nations at once. And we can see the past, the present, and the future. Don't you know God can see it all? And we see the big picture of history. And we see it all. It's time, you know, as we know... God's will and His plan, we as Christians have the Holy Spirit to show us things to come. So we can have a better understanding of history, of what's going on in the present, and of things to come, because we see it from a God perspective. What a joy that is. When you're watching the news and things aren't going the way you think or, or things are happening. But you, in tune with God by the Spirit, see where it fits in the grand plan of God. And it will not shake you because you know the end. Amen? You know how it all turns out and you're a, a part of the plan. So, flipping the page in your notes, let's look now at the beginning. And again, we're laying down a foundation tonight for all of the rest of the go deep messages we're going to be sharing. Genesis chapter 1. We know God created it all, created everything. And I want to point out in verse 31, after he created it all, he said it was very good. Just a quick question if we're listening. How good was it? Very good. Amen. So it was all very good. 
And notice in verse 26, he said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds over the air, all the livestock, over all the earth. God created man in his image, male and female, he put them together. And so who did God give dominion, the right to rule all the earth? He gave it to man. In other words, a spiritual God created a physical earth. Then he created a physical man with his spirit to live on this physical earth and rule and reign over the whole earth that he had given him. Amen. Amen? So God put man in charge. Think about that because that's going to come deep a little later. So God put man in charge and God has a plan and God doesn't go back on his word. Okay? Now we come to a problem. The earth is very good and I like to travel a little bit. Praise God. In our later years, I got to take my wife to the Grand Canyon. We rode a mule all the way down and saw the beauty of it. Uh, last year, we went to the Grand Tetons and saw you know, snow-capped mountains in July while we were kayaking in a crystal clear lake. Praise the Lord. You know, around here, we go out in the woods and see the beauty of it and hunting the deer and, you know, and seeing the big bass come on the line. And praise God. You look at the mountains, the rivers, the lakes. I see families that love one another. And I see children being raised up. And I see, you know, churches re reaching out to people. We see the love of God. There is still a lot of very good in the earth. Aren't you glad? He created it. It was very good. And I'm happy to say it's all very good. There's still so much very good I like to look at. I, I drove and saw the cotton, you know, and it, the fields were white with the harvest. And I'm thinking about all of you sitting here. Most everybody has something on that's cotton. God created something that grows out of the ground for all of us to wear. And look how he supplied you know, I like bananas, man. You take a banana, you don't have to do anything to it. A bright yellow package, you peel it and eat it, and it's good for you. Hallelujah. Think about that. There's still a lot of very good, but the reality is as we look around, there's also a lot of very bad. There's war, there's famine, there's sickness, there's disease, there's addiction. There's families being ripped apart by alcoholism and selfishness and drug addiction and divorce and adultery. And man, there's hatred in the, in the world. There's division in the country. There's genocide. You know, recently visited Kigali, Rwanda. You know, in 94, a million people were murdered by each other, one tribe against another. There's a lot of hatred, there's a lot of war, there's a lot of sickness, disease. But what happened? God created it all, and it was all very good. Well, we know the answer in Christianity. You know, it's theology 101. The fall, sin, sickness, disease came in. But here's where I want to start getting into this from a little different angle than most Christians understand. Here's where our mind is going to start opening up to understand the truth of His grace. We've got to see it from the beginning and see what really happened and see how it progressed and continued. And a lot of Christians don't understand this concept that we're going to start getting into right here. The fall happened. Man, there was sickness, disease. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. They'll put it all on the wall, but I also want you to see it in your own Bible. Go to Romans chapter 5. This is a very important concept. 
verse 19. The Bible says, For just as through the dis disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. By the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. Now let's stop and think about that. It's actually saying, you're not a sinner because you sin. Most people have the concept that you're a sinner if you sin. It's not what it says. The Bible says, one man sinned. The disobedience of one caused everyone to be a sinner. What happened? God created Adam and Eve in beautiful harmony, and they, had a, they could walk with God in His holiness. Holy God could walk with man on the earth. There was no sin. There was no separation. They could enjoy one another. They were naked, unashamed, enjoying the Garden of the Eden. He wanted to, he wanted to take this where a place where heaven met earth, praise God, where the glory of God met the earth, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, and expand this glory and fill the whole earth. Satan had a plan, different plan. He couldn't attack God straight up, so he hates the man made in the image of God, and he deceived mankind, and mankind had a choice and fell to sin. When that happened, it changed the nature of man. Sin came into the man and changed his nature. Now watch this, church. This is an important point. Everything God created, He created with its seed inside itself. In other words, an apple tree has a seed that will reproduce apples and apple trees. Okay, An oak tree has a, has a seed that will reproduce oak trees. Animals reproduce its own kind. Plants reproduce their own kind. Well, now we have a problem. Man is in charge and has dominion over the whole earth. And now man's nature is corrupted by sin. It changed Adam. He could walk with God, and now he's afraid of God. Now God is holy, man is sinful. There is a problem between them, and now sinful man is in charge of the earth, and sinful man plants his sinful seed inside the womb of his wife Eve. They had both yielded to sin, and out came a reproduction of who he is. God created everything with its seed inside itself. So the seed can only reproduce its own kind. So out of Adam, a seed from Adam, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Out of him came Cain and Abel and others. And Cain and Abel and all the brothers and sisters over many years had the nature of their father and mother Sin, the seed of Adam, was planted in that womb. And we see the results of it. Cain killed his brother Abel. Now, hey, many of us might have come from somewhat of a dysfunctional family. But I don't know many dysfunctional families that are that dysfunctional where a brother kills another. Although it's happened. Okay? So here we see the nature of Adam reproduced. And it goes into Cain. And now Cain kills his brother Abel. And now the sin of Adam is multiplied in the rest of the people. By one man's disobedience. And it happens now. Go with me to Genesis chapter 6. 
Let's see what happens next. Genesis 6. And look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become in that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's a very important line we'll show you. Okay, you can underline that in your Bible and think about it. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil all the time, and the Lord grieved that he had made man. Well, we know what happens next. He chose out a man, Noah, and just like he said he would, he doesn't do anything unless he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. He told Noah that I'm sending a flood. And then he told Noah what to do about it. Everything God wants to do, he wants to tell someone, and he wants to show us what to do. We're a part of his plan. He calls us his friends. We can know his plan, know his will. We can know what to do and what to do next. Amen? We can see the big picture. We can understand the plan of God. We can know his will, and we can know where to go and what's happening. Amen? So, he tells Noah, look, it grieves me that the wickedness inside of Adam is now inside all his sons and daughters, and it comes out in their lifestyle. Folks, you're not, a, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because your nature was sinful. And what's in must come out. You were living out the fruit of who you are. Okay, Keep that concept in mind. So now the whole earth, generations later, is full of evil, is full of corruption, and God said, it's time. I'm going to wipe out this sin. I'm going to start over with Noah. And Noah and his family, after 40 days, 40 nights, they finally land. And let me take you somewhere. A place where many Christians have never seen this before. Go with me to Genesis chapter 8. They get out of the ark... They're offering a sacrifice in verse 21. And it says this, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Now watch this. This is after he's wiped out the outward evil all over the planet. Noah, his sons, and their wives are the only ones left, come out of the ark. They offer a sacrifice. And God says, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though... What does it say? The inclination of his heart is on evil from childhood. Wait a minute. We can't just read over the Bible. We've got to stop and think about it. This verse reminds me of something in Genesis 6, 5. The reason why he was sending the flood was because the inclination of man's heart was on evil. And now after the flood, the inclination of man's heart is still on evil. There's an issue here. I mean, we can only come to one conclusion. The flood didn't work. Think about it. God's flood didn't wipe out the evil of man's heart. Judgment doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. The judgment came and wiped out the outward sin but that's not where the real problem is. Folks, what I'm teaching here is the problem is not your sin. The problem is your sin nature. You see? 
After the flood, Noah and his family got out. They began to reproduce. They began to have children. They began to fill the earth. And do you know what happened? Noah lived another 300 years. You can look it up. You can go through it. You can find it. He lived another 300 years. And before he died, do you know what Noah saw? Noah looked around and said, Wow, God, man, it's still evil. There's murder, there's rape, there's war, there's sickness, there's disease. Lord God, what happened? I spent a hundred years building that ark. I thought you had a plan. And Noah was just a real upset that, look, he spent all this time, and, and before he died, he saw the earth evil again. And God, I could just see the conversation. It's okay, Noah. You see, my ways are higher than man's ways. You see, I'm patient with this thing. I have a long-term plan to fix the whole problem. This is only one step in the plan. Are you with me? Now we're talking about God's big picture and His big plan to help you to understand His will and His ways. So the earth's corrupt again. God chooses out another man. He says, Abram, Leave your father, your mother, your country. Leave your life. Leave everything. And go to a land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. And the Bible says Abraham believed God. And he went. When he believed God, he was believing in the word of God. And the word is Christ. See, folks in the Old Testament get saved the same way we do. By Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living word. He was there in the Old Testament and he's here in the New. Amen? When he spoke, God spoke his word, Jesus comes out. Jesus is the word of God. When Abraham believed the word, he was believing on Christ. And when he acted on the word, he demonstrated his faith. How do we know he believed God? Because he went. Are you with me? Amen. He went. And God made that open covenant with Abraham as really a type and shadow. He was making it with Christ. Amen. And he said, I'm going to bless you. And we know the story from here on out, church. I'm just going to sum up. The rest of the Old Testament for you. Okay? This, remember, the title of the message is the grand plan, the big picture. To sum up, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 tribes. The 12 tribes, they became the tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. His sons became the nation of Israel. We see it. Praise God. We just did a whole lesson on the story of Joseph, rejected by his brothers. Then praise God, he's a type of Christ, rejected by his own, but he ended up being salvation for all, is a picture of Christ, amen? But then praise God, they got bound in Egypt for 400 years, God sent Moses to deliver them out, and watch what happened, let's pick up the story there. Now we have people with the nature of Adam, the seed of Adam planted in them, and inside of them is the sin nature. Okay, And that sin nature must come out. It's who they are. So they're living in this world, and they're going through these different struggles, and now God brings them out because He has a covenant with them because He still loves us, and He wants to bless us. So even though we're yet sinners, He still has a plan to fix the whole problem and redeem it and put it back how He originally created it, beautiful and harmony with God and man living together. Are you with me? So now... We go through the story, and the Israel Jewish nation, the whole rest of the Old Testament is the story of this nation and going through their life. And God's using this family 
to begin to reveal himself and his plan and purposes to the whole earth. Okay? So, they come out of Egypt. Now go with me to Exodus 24. I want to make a few points right here. Exodus 24. They come out of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. They saw the miracles of God. They saw ten plagues in Egypt. They saw all of that happen. And you know, and then, praise God, you saw the last plague was death. And they applied the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost. And death passed over them. And now they're released. And praise God, when they left Egypt, they left with the wealth of Egypt. That's good news, too. And the Bible says this about them. None of them were sick. Okay? They applied the blood that satisfied God, but on the inside they ate the lamb, and it healed all of their bodies. You see, communion is the blood for our forgiveness, but it's his body for our healing. They ate, and the Bible says in the Psalms, when they left, there was not a feeble one among them. Let me just throw this out there extra for you. A little lanyap, as they say. I believe, praise God, before the return of Christ, we're all going to be healed. Amen. Every one of us. You don't have to believe that way to come listen to me preach about other things. That's okay. We can disagree there. But man, I'll take it. Because Israel's a type and shadow of what's going to come. And when they ate, they left Egypt, and there was not a feeble one among them on their whole journey. Well, it was supposed to be a relatively short journey. They get to Mount Sinai, and now God's going to confirm this covenant. He's going to give them the law of the covenant. Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the law of God. And if you know the story, when they're going up on the mountain, Moses has to tell them, don't come near the mountain. God is holy, and we've got a problem we have a sin nature, and God is holy. So mankind with a sin nature can't be in the presence of holy God. There's a problem there. If you come too close to the mountain, you'll die. Move your livestock. Hey, we're going to set barriers up. He's called me up. He's given me grace to go, but don't come near it. And they saw the mountain shake. They saw the fire. They saw it trembling. They heard the voice of God, and they said, Moses, don't ever do that to us again. We don't want to hear it. Yeah, you go talk to him, but leave us out, man. This is too scary. God is holy. Man was sinful. Well, Moses comes down that mountain, and you know the story. He's getting the law of the covenant, of how these covenant people with God are going to live, how they're going to react and, and have a relationship with God and to each other. It's a law for the nation. And he's getting that law. And it says this in Exodus 24, as he's summing it up. They say this, Verse 7, then he took the book of the law of the covenant and read it to the people, and they will respond. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Hmm. There's a problem with that. They said, okay, God, we hear your covenant. We see all these rules, these regulations. We see all the blessing for obeying the covenant. We see all the curses for disobeying the covenant. And we're choosing, hey, God, we can do this. We will obey. But there's a problem with it. They can't. Why? Because the problem is inside of them. The problem is not their sins 
or their willingness to try to go through rehab or tighten up their life or get things right or start turning over a new leaf or start trying to do better. That's not their problem. They have a will and heart. They want to try to do better. But the problem is much rooted deeper down. It's inside their very nature. The sin nature of Adam is within them. And they cannot escape that no matter how hard they try. They saw the miracles. Some would say, well, if I just see a miracle, I'll follow God. Really? If I just see the mountain shake, I would follow. They all saw the mountain shake. If I just see the water turn to blood, I'll follow God. If I just see the Red Sea split, they walked through the Red Sea. And they still had the nature. It's not the miracles of seeing what's outward that will change your heart. It's not the outward signs. It's something that God has to do deep within. They saw the trembling. They saw all of these things. They saw the struggle. And here they are saying, yes, God, we saw that you delivered us. We want to obey. We want to. We're saying we're committing to you. We will. But before Moses could get down the mountain, 40 days later, he's carrying the very living word of God written on stone. He's carrying it down. And when he gets down They have already been corrupted. They're acting out all kind of sin at the foot of the mountain, knowing holy God is right there. And they're acting it out. It's coming out of them. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many rehabs you've been to, no matter how many leaves you've turned over, no matter how you set your mind to doing better, it won't happen until your nature is changed. Moses got down, and I want to give you a picture of this law. It's written on stone for a reason. It will not yield. It will not bend. It will not help you. As a matter of fact, the law is against you. It's not for you. What? What are you saying, Pastor Dave? Look, I'm telling you, What the Bible says, turn with me. They read the blessings for obedience. They read the curses for disobedience. And he comes down the mountain. And when he gets down there, they're already in sin. Do you know what Moses has to do? According to the law, it says if you break this law, you must die. It doesn't say you get half your sentence and for good behavior, I might let you out a little earlier. It doesn't yield. It doesn't bend. It's written on stone. If you break it, you must die. The penalty for sin is death. It's not good behavior. It's not trying to do better. The penalty for sin is death. When Moses got down the mountain, he saw what's going on. His heart was stirred up by the Spirit of the living God. And he said, okay, who's on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi, the Levites, came to him. And you know what he told them? Strap your sword on your side. According to this law, your cousins, friends, relatives out there must die. Go through and start killing them. And they did. They got a holy God on the mountain right there. You know, They take out their sword. They start killing their brother, their relative with a sword. Blood, gore, ugly, death. 3,000 people died that day before the wrath of God was settled and said, okay, enough. On the day the law was given, it killed 3,000. Watch this. The Bible says, 
in Deuteronomy 31. Go with me there. Flip with me to Deuteronomy. I want you to see it for yourself. Deuteronomy 31, we're going to look at verse 26. The Bible says here, Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant. They had built this Ark of the Covenant. Inside the first thing to go is the book of the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all the laws. Put it inside it. Then it says this very specifically. There it will remain as a witness against you. It doesn't say for you. The law is inside there as a witness against you because by your nature, you're a sinner and this law will expose that sin because it has a law against your sin and then the law says you will die for it. So the law exposes your sin and then the law condemns you for your sin and kills you for your sin. The law is not for us. It is against us. Wow. Man. Say that in a lot of churches you might get kicked out. But that's what the Bible says. And so many people have missed this truth. But it's real and it's holy and it's right there. As a matter of fact, let's see what the new covenant says about it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Flip all the way there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. Second Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so the Bible calls the ministry of the Old Covenant, the law, the ministry of death. Amen? Are you seeing it? New Covenant, by the Holy Spirit, Paul is writing, calling the law the ministry of death. Then he goes on to say, verse 9, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings life? He's comparing the old covenant that condemns men, that's the ministry of death, to the new covenant that brings life. He's trying to make that real clear. The ministry of death. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2.14 says it this way. The rules and regulations that was against us that was opposed to us. And sometimes I get the pastors to quote this and say it. What does the Bible say about the law? It's against us. It's opposed to us. It's the ministry of condemnation. It's the ministry of death. So we make it real clear. Because we're trying to teach this verse and understand that we are now ministers of the new covenant. And yet, church... Half the churches around the country are still preaching law and preaching sin and preaching condemnation and the result, what they're doing, is killing their people. They think the way to bring holiness is to preach death, to preach sin, to preach fear of God and judgment and punishment, but I've already shown you that judgment doesn't bring about righteousness. God judged the whole earth and sent a whole flood and it didn't work. Are you with me? Make this real clear. He judged the whole earth with a flood for their outward sin, and it didn't fix the inward problem of the heart. 300 years later, the earth is full of sin again. Judgment of God does not bring about the righteousness of God. Come on, it's obvious. We know this. You can take a sinner, someone in crime, put them in prison, 
And you can lock them up, and it might cause some fear. You know, they don't want to get caught again. They don't want to go back to prison. It's a necessary thing for our society to keep them off the streets. But it does it change the heart? No. Law and judgment doesn't change the heart. It's necessary. It's needed in a society. God gave it to a society, but he had a much bigger, grander plan. He was just using this time period of the 4,000 years of the Old Testament to teach man a very important principle. Let's flip the page. Matter of fact, this verse sometimes shocks people when they read it out loud. It's been there all along, and yet they never have spoken it out in the church. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse 20. Turn with me there and underline it for yourself. I want you to see it. Hey, I want you to get used to finding it in your Bible and know what side it's on so you can show somebody else. We like to carry these things and flip through them so we can use them and show people. Romans 5.20 The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Everybody say increase. Why was the law added? So the trespass, the sin, the breaking of the law, would increase. What? What are you saying? I'm saying what the Word says, that God had the law not to stop sin, but to make sin more. That's what it says. The Bible says the law was added to make sin, breaking the law, increase, not decrease. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds against, hey, sometimes, hey, we want folks to act right. We want to give them more rules. We want the church to be holier. Man, let's preach harder against sin. I hear people say, man, you know, I want a preacher that's going to step on my toes and make me feel horrible and guilty and shameful to keep me from sinning. It won't work. It doesn't work. The fear of God won't bring about the righteousness of God. Okay? doesn't the fear okay that word fear in the old testament jesus translated to worship okay what it really talking about if you look at the big picture in the grand plan you're talking about the awesome respect for who he is and what he is amen. that's what it really means come on when you want to get down to the principle of things amen so if they were on the mountain and saw it shake and saw the fire and saw people die all through the Old Testament, when they committed adultery, they were commanded to pick up stones and participate in the killing of their brother by throwing stones on him till he died. Don't you know that put a little fear in them not to get caught in their adultery? The adultery nature, the sin nature was still in them. They just started doing a better job at hiding it. It didn't change the nature of Adam inside of them. So God uses 4,000 years and he brings this about. The law was added that the trespass might increase, but praise the Lord, where sin increased, grace superabounds. Increase all the more. Hallelujah. Romans 3.20 says it this way. Flip back a page with me. And it goes here. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, by observing the law. Let's stop and think. We can have a long list of laws. 
We can have rules and regulations all the way through, and we can be very strict upon them all, but no one will be declared righteous by trying to follow a code. You can't get righteous that way. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, here's the whole purpose of this whole story. 4,000 years of Old Covenant history. 4,000 years. We can know the grand plan. We can see God, what He's up to. We can know why He's doing it. We can know the heart of God. Here it is. Why did God take 4,000 years calling out Abraham, making a covenant with all of them, and seeing all these Israelites have all these laws, knowing they couldn't follow it? Knowing the problem was on the inside. It says it right here. Here's the purpose of the law. Hallelujah. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. The law was our schoolmaster to show us once and for all. He used the nation of Israel to reveal his glory, to reveal himself, to reveal his goodness, to reveal his holiness, to reveal his law. He used the nation of Israel to teach all nations that our problem is on the inside. In other words, I can't get myself right. I can't try hard enough. I can't do enough good. It's not like all the other religions where if you do a few more good things than bad, one day, you know, in the end, they'll count it all up and you might barely make it. No, it's not about that. What it's about is recognizing through the holiness of God that the problem is on the inside. It's not my lawyer's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my family's fault. It's not my upbringing. The problem I finally recognize, it's me, Lord. The law has brought me to. I tried and tried. I can't do it. It finally brings us to the end of ourself saying, Lord, I see where the problem is. It's me on the inside. I need to be saved from myself. This is the whole purpose of the law. And God works His purpose just right. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is a good thing. It's the law of God. I believe it. Praise God. I honor it. I respect it for what it is and for its purpose. To bring us to the end of ourself and show us we can't do it. Praise God. So, hallelujah. No one will do, but rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. Verse 21, but now, a righteousness from God apart from the law. A righteousness is coming apart from the law. When? Now, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So church, let me explain this way. In the fullness of time, after God had taken 4,000 years of his precious time to slowly reveal the problem to man, he finally sent the answer. This is why Jesus Christ had to become a man. Watch this. Because God gave dominion to rule the whole earth to man. And in order to win it back, it had to be a man. 
God's not going to go back on his word, give dominion to rule the earth to man, and then say, oops, I made a mistake. I'll take it back and I'll rule the earth. No man's still in charge, only we got a major problem. Fallen man's in charge of the earth. If we see governments messed up, if we see racism and hatred and war and famine and all these things going on and governments aren't doing it, we can't say, God, why are you doing this? God put man in charge. So now we have a big problem. Fallen man's in charge of the earth. And God loves us so much. He's going to send someone to become a man to fix it. Only he did it this way. God took his word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. All things were created by him. Who created it all? The word of God. God in a general, more specifically, all things were created by him, the word of God. When God said, let there be light, the word created the light. All things were created by him, the word of God. God took his word, who was with God, who was God in the beginning, and he took his word and planted his word in the womb of a virgin named Mary. Now, this is not Joseph's seed. If it was Joseph's sperm, Joseph's seed, he would have had the nature of his father Adam and it would have been corrupted. So it wasn't Joseph. Jesus had to be born of a virgin or he would have been, had the nature of Adam. But now he has the nature of God's seed is in Mary. Mary has a child and he's the son of man because he's from Mary, but he's the son of God because he's from God. So he's both. He's one of us. He has to be. God gave dominion to man. He's one of us. He's fully man and had to be to save man. So he's one of us, praise the Lord. But praise God, he's also God in the flesh, walking among us, the very spirit of the living God inside of him. So he was tempted in every way, but without sin. Make this connection, okay? Adam... The first Adam, hallelujah, without sin, was tempted in the garden, and he fell, and he was corrupted, and corrupted every man after him. Jesus, praise the Lord, born of a virgin with the nature of God, he was tempted in the wilderness, and he won. The same Satan that tempted the first Adam tempted what Corinthians called the second Adam, or the last Adam. The first Adam fell, the last Adam won. Satan came to Jesus and tempted him in every way a man could be tempted, and he won by the word of God. So he crushed him, he defeated him right then and there, praise the Lord. And then he walks a sinless life, praise God. In the ministry, he heals the sick, he raises the dead. If we want to know God, what's his heart, what's his will, what's he want to do? Look at Jesus. What did he say? What did he think? How did he walk? You want to know what God thinks? Hey, everywhere he went, the Bible says, and he healed them all. What's his will for you? To heal you all. Not some of you, not one of you. It's God's will to heal you all. Hallelujah. How do I know that? Because look at Jesus. Everything Jesus did is the will of God. Everything Jesus said is the will of God. If we want to understand the heart of God, we've got to look at Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want to see God and know Him? You look at Christ and think Christ and follow Him. He's the ultimate expression of the living God walking the earth as one of us. Don't you see? The first Adam 
fell from his nature, every man after him had a sin nature. Now watch this. We've got to understand, praise the Lord. He came to his own. Let's look at, go with me to John as we close this out. John chapter 1. This is a foundational truth. All the rest of the Wednesday night messages will build on this foundational truth. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who receive him. Let's back up one verse, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Most of the world, first his own brothers, sisters, the Jewish population didn't. Many of the Gentiles didn't. Most didn't receive him. Same thing today. Most haven't received him. They're rejecting him all the time. But the good news is, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Watch this. Verse 13. Children not born of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Think about this. Folks, this changes everything. How we teach the rest of the truth. We have to understand this foundational truth of God's grand plan. Man was a sinner, had a sin nature in Adam. Everyone after Adam had that sin nature. The only way to change is to die and be born again. We must look to Christ. It says all, most reject Him, but all who receive Him... He gives you the right to become a new child, born not of your father and mother getting together, not of your family's line or heritage. If you believe in Christ, you're born again from above. A new species of people. It's like a whole new race. A whole different type of person. You've got the people from Adam who are sinners by nature in this line. China, India, Africa, everyone by nature a sinner. Then we who believe, we come to the cross, we come to Christ, and we're born from above like Him. Like Him. Do you see it? Now, you don't have a sin nature. Here's where most Christians don't understand. Here's where most pastors don't understand. Here's where God is reteaching this all over the earth right now and the church is exploding on fire because we're finally getting it. You were a sinner and had a sin nature. When you've come to Christ, you're born from above of Him. Your old nature is dead and buried with Him and done away with. And your new nature is alive. If any, We quote it all the time, but we don't really believe it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things from Adam have been passed away and done away with. All things have become new. You are now a new creation with the life and the righteousness of Christ inside of you. <laughs> and yet, pastors, leaders, teachers, Christians... Most are teaching their churches, you're a filthy, rotten sinner. You need to come to the altar and confess all your sins every day. And you need to recognize how low you are that you're barely going to make it. And really what God wants to say, 
Quit insulting the blood of my son. You call yourself a sinner and no good, barely going to make it. What you're saying is what Jesus did on the cross when he died for you as you and his blood washed you and cleansed you and buried you wasn't good enough to make you right with God. Righteousness means in right standing with God. We weren't in right standing with God because of our nature. We had to recognize it from the law, and we had to recognize our need to be changed, and we had to come to Christ to get it. But when you come to Christ, you are born from above. Folks, I'm teaching the church and want you to see yourself this way. You have two kinds of people on the earth. I don't look at it as black, white, you know, Chinese, Japanese, this culture, that culture. I see it as you're either in Adam or you've been born again and now you're in Christ. I see it as you're either in Christ or you need to be. I'm not mad at the folks still in Adam. I'm not mad at the sinners. God's not mad. Because he gave the answer to it all. And all you got to do is come to believe it and receive it. The penalty for the sins of all mankind has been paid for once and for all 2,000 years ago. The, the sin of everyone in Adam still that still walk in the earth in gross sin, violating all kind of things, Jesus Christ paid for them too. You don't have to pray, Lord, save my son, do this, something to save my son, save my daughter, save them. He's already done it. 2,000 years ago, all you have to do is go proclaim the good news, and when they believe it, they can have what Jesus has already provided 2,000 years ago. It is finished! But we can't walk this way as we come to the altar confessing the sin that we already confessed last week and last year, and complaining and groaning about how bad we've done, and the whole time God's saying, you don't believe in my son, do you? You don't think the blood washed your sin, do you? Quit insulting my son and believe the gospel. And that's as pastors and leaders and teachers start teaching our people who they are in Christ rather than who they were in Adam. You are being made competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter that kills, but of the spirit that gives life. Amen. Folks, this is a foundational truth for the rest of the lessons that's going to build one on top of the other. I encourage you to bring another friend. Don't miss one. It gets stronger and stronger. We're going deeper and deeper. This is only elementary truth. Because now we want to begin to start from here and start teaching after you're born again who you are now. We need to get pastors, leaders, and our teachers of the church around the world to quit teaching people who they were in Adam and start recognizing that they're a new creation in Christ and start teaching them who they are in Christ. Holy, righteous, blameless. This is who you are. It's inside of you. Yes, brother, you do have this treasure in an earthen vessel, and there's still some problem between your ears. But if you keep listening to this truth and growing it, we will help you renew your mind to the truth of what's in your spirit. And that's when you'll walk in the victory. Yeah.
tell you what, praise God. You know, we're going to close this out, and uh, it's, it's such good news. It's a foundational truth, but I've really seen across the world, it's growing so fast, but about half the Christians around have missed it, have missed it, you know, of who we really are when we're born again, righteous and holy. You see, the preachers who are preaching law and condemnation and sin and you better not do this or God's going to get you, they really want the same thing as we do preaching His grace. We want people to live holy and blessed. But you know what? That way doesn't work. Law and judgment doesn't work. His plan, grace does. Some would say, well, if we preach too much grace, are we giving them a license to sin? What? Shall we continue to sin? You know, because of this grace? I'm glad folks asked me that question because they asked Paul the same thing. If I'm not preaching grace as radically as Paul, you won't ask. But I want to be preaching as radically as Paul did because it's the truth of the gospel of grace. No. When I ask you this, if you're born again and now you know you're, you know, been made the righteousness of God inside of you and all your sin is gone and you're not a sinner and you're holy, does that make any of you want to go sin? I've never had an answer say, oh yeah, praise the Lord, now we can go sin. No one has ever said that. I've been to, you know, bunches of nations. No. This causes us to see the grand plan, the big picture, and what Jesus did in a deeper way and wants us, wants, causes us to want to follow him even more. Father, I just want to thank you for your truth. I thank you for pastors, leaders. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, Lord God, that you're leading your whole church around the world into all of your truth. This is not just happening here. It's happening rapidly around the world. And the church is being filled with the knowledge of truth. And because of that, the glory of God is coming. More and more, we're going from glory to glory. Bless each and every one. Lord, put someone on their heart that they can call and invite to come hear the next step of this message next Wednesday night. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great night.